Welcome to New Catholic Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finchley. How many of you like to be told thank you? Yeah, my wife said, oh yes. My wife, likes, she likes to fix goodies. But if you want more goodies, you better thank her for the last goodies. Right? We all, we all enjoy being, a, 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 for people to be gr- grateful or have gratitude for what we do. We're, we've been in a series, we're in a series right now called Thanks Living. Thanksgiving thanks is a powerful, powerful thing. The word thank you is an incredibly powerful, life-changing thing. There's a lot of people that says, well, I just want to know what the, God, the will of God is. Well, here's what the will of God is. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Last week we started our series with living a life, thanks living, is living a life of gratitude in an ungrateful world. Gratitude is more than just saying thank you. It is the delight in not just what you receive, but in the one who gave it. Gratitude has as much to do with the giver as with the gift. Last week I challenged you to take the next 18 days before Thanksgiving and keep a gratitude journal. And hopefully you've done that because I believe it will change your life. This morning I want to talk to you about what I believe is the next step. Is living a life of confidence in a confused and confusing world. What I want to talk to you about is trust. Trust. Where gratitude is the emotion of thanksgiving. Trust is the choice. You can say thank you a thousand times for a thousand benefits and never really trust the benefactor. Webster defines trust as a firm belief or confidence in the honesty, integrity, reliability, the justice, the truth of another person or thing, or can be Uh, Defined as faith or reliance. The Bible word for trust is faith. It's the act of believing, of trusting, of relying in and upon God. Years ago, Major Ian Thomas, he's with the Lord now, came to Lampasas and came to New Covenant. And I was sitting at Dr. Alton Bishop's around his dining room table and Major Thomas was on one side and we were there and And I asked him a question. I said, Major Thomas, how would you define faith? And in that English brogue, as only an Englishman can say, well, he said, well, it's patently obvious. Faith is just saying thank you. I have never forgotten that statement. That had an impact on me in such a way. Because we always think faith is something you do. But I'm discovering that faith is accepting what's been done. Faith. Trust. The word for faith in the Greek is pistis. Which actually means trust or confidence or assurance. Our English word trust actually carries a better idea of biblical faith than our English word faith. Because when we use faith, most of the time, we and Webster even has one, it's believing in something you have no proof for. 
Well, that's a bad definition for faith. Faith is relying on someone who is absolutely truthful. Faith, biblical faith, is the act of believing, assurance, trust. To trust God is to have a conscious awareness and reliance upon Him as He's revealed Himself. And some people think that gives you an out. Well, I just don't believe there's a God. Well, everyone has a revelation of God. Everyone. Everyone who's ever lived has a revelation of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 19. It says, they know the truth about God because He's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now look at verse 21. Yes, they knew God. In other words, they perceived God. But they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Folks, believing in God, relying upon God, is a choice. You can say there's no God, but the whole creation reveals Him. God Let's just be honest. God has shown Himself. We just choose not to trust Him. Nothing pleases God more than your trusting Him. Your confidence in Him. Hebrews 11.6, the New Living Translation says, And it is impossible to please God without faith, without trust. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Believing that mental ascent of God's existence is not the same thing as trusting the God who actually exists. We can trust that He is when it seems like He's not. He's a rewarder of those who sincerely seek Him. And I want you to hear that. Seek Him. Not seek Him for, not seek Him when, but seek Him. You see, most of the time when we seek God, we seek God to do something for us. God wants, is most pleased when we have confidence, assurance, trust in Him. Not just the reward. That trust pleases God more than anything else. It's pleasing to God because we find Him trustworthy and faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9 In the New Living says, Understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He's the faithful God who keeps His covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes His unfailing love on those who love Him and obey His commands. Jesus Christ is the essence and the proof of God's faithfulness. He's the full revelation of our Creator. Jesus is called the faithful witness in Revelations 1.5. Christ is the living testimony of God's believability, His trustworthiness. Through Jesus Christ, God has more than proved Himself. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise 
He was the fulfillment of God's person. He was the fulfillment of God's prophecy. He's the author and finisher of our salvation, the security of our life, and the source of all God has in store for us. Trusting God pleases God like nothing else we do. Now, we say that, and we probably say, yeah, that's right, but most of us don't do that. Most of us really believe that performance pleases God. In other words, if you're going to please God, you better do. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing after you've trusted. But your doing doesn't make you right with God. It's your trusting that makes you right with God. I want you to listen to me. Most of us have this phantom Christian in the back of our mind. This imaginary person that we are always comparing ourselves to. He's that super spiritual person who gets up at 4 a.m. every day to pray for several hours. Then he reads his Bible for several more hours, memorizing verses daily. He goes to work after hours of spending time with God, at which time he's top in his field where he effectively shares Christ with everyone he comes into contact with. He teaches weekly Bible studies, goes to church every time the doors are open, and serves on several boards. He's also a wonderful spiritual leader at home, a sterling example of a loving husband and father who leads stimulating family devotions every day for his Proverbs 31 wife and perfect children. You know him? Now, we know that's ridiculous. But isn't that the kind of person in the back of our mind we keep comparing ourselves to? Well, if I was just better, or if I just did this more, if I, if I could only, if I, well, I wish I hadn't. That perfect Christian remains that thing we sense our failure about. And what we're really saying is, God, can you really love me? Oh, I know you love that kind of person, that phantom Christian. But can you really love me the way I am? I know he loved me then. I know he loved me then. But does he still love me? What about now? What about tomorrow? Would you look at Romans chapter 8? We're going to go through, verse by verse, a few verses in Romans chapter 8. And I want to try to answer that question. Now, Romans 8, we're going to start in verse 31, but I want to read you the context of it. He's talking about there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. He goes on describing it out. And he says, we know that all these things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For who He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Moreover, He whom He predestined, He called. And whom He called, He justified. And whom He justified, He glorified. And then in verse 31, in the context of all of God's purposes, of God's sovereign Love and life over his creation and over our lives. He says, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Now, the question is not who can be against us. You could answer that one. Everybody has their list about you. Just ask your wife. Your kids. Your neighbor. But we're not talking about who can be against you. We can list our foes, but that's not the question. What shall we say then to these things? And the word if there should be translated since, because in the Greek language, that word if is not a question, it's a declaration. Since God is for us. Four words deserve, deserve our attention. God is for us. When you were memorizing scripture when you were that phantom Christian, did you ever use that, that way to memorize a scripture where you would take one word and emphasize it, and then you would say the words again and emphasize another word, then you'd say the words again and say, God is for us. Let's do that. God is for us. The God who created everything, the God who is, who was, who is to be, the God who is in control of all things, the God who spoke the end from the beginning, who is the Alpha and the Omega, that God, the God who loved us so much He gave His only begotten Son, that God is for us. He is. All right, the second word, God is for us. Let's do it again. God is. Is for us. Not what may be. Not will be. Not has been. God at this moment. In this present time. In the essence of present tense. He is for us. God is for us. Third word. God is for us. God is for us. God's for you. He's not against you. God is for you. If God had a calendar, your birthday would be circled. If God drove a car, you would want to be, 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 be. You would be one of the stick figures on his back glass. God's for you. He's for you. At this moment, you don't need to wait in line. Come back tomorrow. His faithfulness won't increase if you're better. His his favor won't lessen if you're worse. He's for you. Knowing this. Now wait. He's for... God is for us. You. Now, I know you think He's for them. God is for... Us. Let's just make it personal. God's for me. Say it with me. God is for me. God is for me. God is really for me. I'm under His favor. In fact, my name is on His refrigerator. You see... What I want you to walk out of here this morning with is an absolute confidence and assurance that my God, the creator of this universe, who gave his only begotten son, is not just forgiving you. He's for you. He's for you.
Well, what shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Though all hell set itself against you, you're going to come through. Disease can't rob you. Your purpose or value cannot diminish. God is for you. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? Here's the, just the common sense of this statement. If God would give his own son for us, will he not give everything else we need to us? If God would give his son for us, what's he going to withhold? We say, yeah. Say nothing. Then why do we still fear? Why do we still worry? We worry if we'll have enough money. And when we have enough money, we worry if we'll manage it well. We worry about yesterday. And we worry about tomorrow. We fear. We're frustrated. If God be for us, who can be against us? If he didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. In other words, he handed him over in our place. Then do you think because he's done that for us, he's going to withhold anything else? Do you have anything in this world to worry about? The answer is no. Would he be nailed to a cross for your sins, build his home in you to leave you? Did Jesus live, leave glory, become flesh, die on a cross, rise from the grave, and send his Holy Spirit to live in you so you could fear and worry? I don't think so. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge then against God's elect? That word elect means one that was chosen among others. In other words, you were chosen out to be His. That's how far you He is. Who can bring a charge? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for you? Folks, listen to me. We all stand accused. And the accusations are true. There is one who, who every moment of your life, there's an accuser who's filing charges against you before God. In Revelation 12.10, it says the adversary is accusing us before our God day and night. And let me tell you, he keeps good records of every slip up because he reminds you of them. When you're trying to forget your past, it's Him who always brings it back to the forefront. I want you to see Him pacing back and forth before God's throne. I want you to hear Him say, calling out your name and listing your faults. This one, this one, this one. He's unworthy. He's hung up on greed. He only thinks of Himself. He goes days without praying or even seeking you. I accuse him of laziness and selfishness and worry and distrust. 
but God hadn't spoken yet. The accuser has. Have you heard him? What you should have done? What you could have done? But God says, there's one who is justified. Christ who died and is risen, who is praying and speaking up for you. The accuser says, the weight of sin is death. And the judge says, yes, the death has already occurred. For this one died with Christ, and he stands here at my right hand as witness of that sufficiency. Satan can't say anything else to that. Not guilty. Hear it? Not guilty. Listen. God says, through his son, not guilty. Yeah, but. No buts. Not because you deserve it, but because you are in Christ. No one can condemn you. Fingers may point, voices may demand, but the charges no longer stick. Go and sin no more. Why would you sin any longer? Why would you choose to go that way any longer when you see that what God has done for you? Doesn't mean that we want, but why would you want to? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Right there it is, isn't it? Right there. Right there. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who shall separate? That's the question. How long will God really love me? How does he feel about me when I'm a jerk? And my wife can tell you there's times. I want to know how he feels about me when I snap at everything that moves. When my thoughts are not pure at all. When my tongue can cut through solid rock. We might not say it, but we wonder it. Did I cross the line this week? Did I drift too far? Did I wait too long? Is this one it? Can anything separate me from the love of Christ? So that we would see his answer. He lit the sky with a star. So we'd hear it. He filled the night with a choir. So we'd believe it. He did what no man would have ever dreamed. He became flesh and lived right here with us. He came to be one like us. So we might come to be like him. He knows how you feel. He was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. How long will his love last? He'll go all the way to the cross. It's your death he's dying. I know this sounds crude, but let me tell you, he'll go to hell and back for you. He did. The resurrection life you're living today is what he raised for you. That's how much he loves you. Can anything stand between you and Him? The message translation of verse 38 and 39 is going to be on the screen. I'm absolutely convinced. That's what I want you to hear. 
I'm absolutely convinced. I want you to walk out of here this morning absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. What can separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing. I love how Bobby Connor says it. Nothing is a big hole with all the air sucked out of it. Nothing. That sets you up for thanksgiving. That confidence. I don't care how confusing this world is. I don't care... Can, I don't care how confused you're hearing everybody. I don't, you don't, may not know what's going on. You may not hear. Here's one thing I can put both feet down on. My God loves me and I can be fully assured that he's going able to keep me and, uh, and fulfill everything he's promised me because of who he is and what he's promised me. I love what Graham Cook said. Graham Cook said, We may not know what God is doing, but we can know what He's like. He loves me. Well, isn't that an arrogant statement? (laughs) No, it's an arrogant statement to think you could earn it. To think that you deserve it. God loves you when you are a jerk. God loves you regardless. Solomon said it in Proverbs. What are we to do? Solomon said it in Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, whether you understand it or not, while to all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your path. I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying it's easy. There's no easy button in this life. I'm saying you can be absolutely confident in a confused world when you trust God. Trust Him. Trust Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, Whatever my circumstances may be, God will freely give me all that is necessary to keep me, to hold me, to guide me, to mold me until at last I fill my seat at the table until I see him as he is and I am like him and I'll spend eternity with him in everlasting glory. I am absolutely confident of his love for me. Last week I asked you to start a gratitude journal. I'm asking you for the next week I want you to write down and journal. Ask God to bring to mind and remember how he's been faithful to you. Connie and I have been doing that. And it's been amazing to me as we've looked back over 45 years of ministry. And we've looked back in the hard times and the times we didn't understand. The times we didn't know. The times when finances were no longer finances. They were, they were dreams. You know what that is? You know, you just dream of finances. And we saw God come through time and time and time again. And now in our old age, 
we're beginning to realize if he was faithful then, he's going to be faithful now and he'll be faithful on till the end. He has proven himself faithful. And the proof doesn't mean that he will be. It's the faithful God who has proven himself that I have confidence in he will be. I can trust him. You can trust him. Ask God to remind you of the areas he's been faithful to you and how he's come through. And let me tell you, it'll fill you with thanksgiving. Next week, we're going to take one more step. We talked about the emotion of it. We've talked about the choice of it. Next week, we're going to talk about how to live that active life in an apathetic world. How do I live thanksgiving? Would you stand together with me? Maybe you're here this morning. You've been fearful. You've been frustrated. It doesn't look like God's come through for you. It doesn't look like... Let me just tell you something. It's God's timing as well as it is His truthfulness. It's His timing. There's a lot of times when we would just give up and God had come through. I'm just inviting you, even if you're hurting this morning, if you feel like He does exist, you've come to a good place because He's here and He wants to reveal Himself to you and He wants you to know He's the faithful God. He knows exactly where you're at. He wants you to know what He's like. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I not only have gone with you in the past, I'm going to go with you today and I'm going to go with you into your future. Trust me. Trust me. If you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and received Him as your own, trust Him. Fear has conquered you so many times. Today, trust Him. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. Today, trust Him. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.